Good morning, everyone. I don't think there are any uh, surprises in the service today. Um, I do want to uh, tell you that the communion liturgy, when we start uh, the communion prayer, that is from page 250 in the green hymnal. So you might want to put your, your stewardship insert into there to hold that page for you or something until uh, we get there. And we're going to, uh, since it's 4th of July weekend, everybody got one? Okay. Sit down. Have a seat. We, uh, we have a patriotic hymn to conclude the service and uh, a poster that's patriotic as well. Oh, okay. I, th- I think I'm supposed to remind you that next Sunday is not everyone's coffee hour, but Kathleen Williamson will be doing coffee hour to celebrate her birthday. Okay? We do have the picnic set for today, and if it continues to rain, uh, I suppose we'll do it in the lounge in the big Sunday school room. Uh, Otherwise, we'll go outside. It stops, and maybe the sun will come out. Please join me in uh, in the preparatory prayer. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in your own, our own goodness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but it is your nature always to have mercy. So feed us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, that we may forever live in him and he in us. Amen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. On this uh, rainy 4th of July Sunday morning, our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you in peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. O God of light and life, who set us free of the bondage to sin's control, bind our hearts to you. You who sets us free to genuinely love selflessly and serve willingly, accept our worship and praise this morning. Come, let us worship the Lord. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we propose to celebrate together today with the help of God the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this Lord's Day. We come to the table to commune with our Lord. We come in awe and reverence for the place where we stand is holy ground. Here the Lord offers us the manna of life. If we are to experience this celebration with our Lord and be nourished by the Spirit, let us examine ourselves first. Then eat the bread and drink the cup. The 
benefit is great if with penitent hearts and living faith we receive the Lord's Supper. Let us acknowledge our sin before our merciful God with full intention of amending our lives. Let us make restitution for all injuries and wrongs done to others. Let us forgive those who have offended us as we ourselves have been forgiven. All children of the covenant be reconciled with one another and then come joyfully to the banquet so that you may experience assurance of God's pardon and strengthening of your faith. Let us pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Hear the good news. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Commandments. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not testify falsely against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let us live. As we come to the reading of God's word, let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. Amen. Guide us, by us, O Lord, by your holy word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth and find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first lesson comes from Psalm 145. The Lord is good, his kingdom is everlasting. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is everlasting, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. 
The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and give, you give them their food in due season. You open your hands, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew and John. John chapter 8, verses 34 and following, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Here we speak of true freedom in Christ. Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is, of course, the week that Americans naturally talk about freedom because it's the anniversary of our Declaration of Independence. Now, I want to try something. What country did we declare our independence from? Three out of four people, according to the radio this past week, do not know what country we declared our independence from. Can you believe that? Do you remember? Somebody said Spain. Others said France. Somebody else said Algeria. We all declared our independence from England, of course, under King George on July 4th, 1776. And we spent two plus years fighting in order to gain that independence permanently. Now that is all good and proper, and yet we must also be aware that we are not talking about gospel freedom here, or the freedom offered to us by the knowledge of God. It is quite common for most people, not just Americans, to confuse the two and to worship mere political freedom in lieu of any real inner freedom offered by God and grace. For this reason, there are two reasons today why I have chosen the topic of freedom. The first is that everybody is thinking and talking about freedom today, and many people are spending their lives in pursuit of it. For others, for some it is a national freedom. It's emancipation from colonial yoke. It's freedom from the tyranny of terror. For some, uh, it's a civil freedom, civil rights, civil liberties, freedom from an oppressive regime. For others, it's economic freedom, freedom from hunger, poverty, unemployment, economic oppression. For all of us, it is personal freedom. Even those who are campaigning most vigorously for other freedoms I've mentioned often know that they are not free themselves. They cannot identify what the oppressions or tyrannies are in their lives, but they feel frustrated, unfulfilled, and dominated. 
So freedom is a common topic of conversation and thought today. Secondly, freedom is a great Christian word. The Lord Jesus is portrayed in the pages of the New Testament as the world's supreme liberator. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 in his first sermon that he preached. He said he came to proclaim release of the captives and to set at liberty the oppressed. And later in his public ministry, he said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Apostle Paul appealed to the Galatians to stand firm in the liberty with which Christ has set us free. And for those who find salvation a rather embarrassing word, or a word of traditional religious vocabulary that has not much meaning today, freedom would be an excellent substitute for salvation. To be saved by Jesus Christ is to be set free. Those are the two reasons I've chosen this topic. The first freedom is largely freedom from. It's the natural ego desire to be self-determining, self-directed, self-promoting, and not to be colonized or controlled by others in any sense. This is good, but it does not mean you will use such freedom for the common good, for spiritual good, or for the good of others. It is ordinarily quite selfish and exclusionary, as our whole history has shown in both state and church. As long as you stay at the egocentric level, it is actually just freedom for me to do what I want, which cannot get you very far spiritually. In fact, it becomes a blockage to the bigger mystery and the larger truth. So I want to begin negatively with the tyrannies from which we need liberation, and then I will turn toward the positive counterpart. There are many tyrannies, but two major ones are guilt and self. I am truly thankful there is a reaction today against Freud's insistence that guilt feelings are pathological. Guilt is a symptom of various kinds of mental illness or depressive illness, but not all guilt is false guilt. Psychologists are now telling us that we must take our responsibility and guilt seriously. Indeed, it's part of our distinctive humanness that we are moral beings with an urge to do what is right and a sense of guilt when we do what we know to be wrong. You'll know, I'm sure, one of Mark Twain's many witticisms about man as the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. For there have been times in all of our lives when we did things for which we now thoroughly are ashamed. The Bible is explicit on this point. It tells us that we have asserted ourselves against God's love and authority. We've gone our own way. We've provoked his just displeasure. And our conscience tells us so. Our first and greatest need, then, is forgiveness. Nobody is free who is not forgiven. If I were not sure of the forgiveness of God by his sheer unutterable mercy, I could not look him in the face. I could not even look you in the face. I'd want to run away and hide as in the Garden of Eden because it was there in Eden that the divine call upon us as human beings 
led to a cover-up of the primary nature. It was the first invention. A leading British humanist was interviewed recently on television, and in a moment of surprising candor, she said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. There is forgiveness with God. For God entered into our world in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. God, he lived a perfect life of love and on the cross identified himself with our sin and our guilt. And God in Christ bore in his own innocent person the condemnation that we deserve. And he did it in order that we might be forgiven. Guilt is the first tyranny. We know it very well. And I trust this morning that we have found the remedy for it in Christ. The second tyranny is self-centeredness. Once speaking to some Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Jews were indignant. They said, What on earth are you talking about? We've never been in bondage to anybody. Jesus replied, Truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Like salvation, sin is another word of traditional religious vocabulary that many people today are uncomfortable with and do not have a sense of its meaning anymore. I can remember when I was an undergraduate student how enlightening it was to learn that the famous evangelist William Temple said that the Bible means by sin uh, a self-centeredness. Let me tell you what Temple puts in his great little book, Christianity and the Social Order. He writes, I am the center of the world I see, and where the horizon is depends on where I stand. Education may take my self-centeredness less disastrous by broadening my horizon of vision. It's like a man climbing a tower who sees further in terms of physical vision while remaining himself the center and the standard of reference. I am the center of the world I see. And that's what the Bible means, you see, by sin. Luther talks about man and women curved in on himself. Malcolm Muggeridge talks about the dark little dungeon of my own ego. That is sin. A twisted self-consciousness that has us imprisoned. But God's order is that we love God with all our being, and then that we love our neighbor and put ourselves last. Sin is the reversal of the order. We Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the only remedy for this radical self-centeredness. He not only died on the cross, he also rose again. He is alive, and by the power of his Spirit, he can enter our personality and begin to cleanse us from within. Christians do not claim to be perfect. We claim that Jesus has begun to liberate us from the cramping bondage of our own self-centeredness. Here is the good news of freedom from tyranny. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have freedom from our own guilt because he died for us and freedom from our own self-centeredness in the power of his resurrection. 
Now, I can't stop there because I think the second part of this message is more important. It's a great mistake to think of freedom in purely negative terms, in terms of those things from which we've been set free. We need to think of freedom in positive terms, that for which we've been set free. Gospel freedom is freedom not from, but for. It is not just freedom to do what I want to do, but the inner freedom to do what I know I must do, what I was created to do. In fact, authentic God experience gives you such inner freedom that you can even find life and love and happiness when you lack outer freedoms assured us by our own constitution. Many of our saints and martyrs have shown this to be true, as did Jesus on the cross. Living under the oppression of Rome, he was able to give the believers freedom, spiritual freedom. This is the principle I want to develop this morning. True freedom is freedom to be myself, my true self as God made me and meant me to be. Let me illustrate the principle. I begin with God himself. Have you ever thought that God himself is the only person who enjoys perfect freedom? You could argue that God is not free. His freedom is certainly not absolute in the sense that he could do absolutely anything whatsoever. God cannot. The Bible speaks of several things that God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. God cannot tempt or be tempted. So, God's freedom is not absolute, but God's freedom is perfect because he's able to do absolutely anything that he wills to do. The major thing that God cannot do, according to Scripture, is to contradict himself. God's freedom is freedom to be always entirely God. But there's nothing arbitrary about God, nothing capricious, nothing unpredictable. God never changes. God's always the same. And God never contradicts himself. If God did, then of course, God would be God no longer. So God finds his freedom in being himself and never changing. And what is true of God, the creator, is equally true of all of his creatures. Absolute freedom is impossible for us, as it's impossible for God. It must be impossible for us. It's an illusion. The freedom of every creature is found in its, in its or his or her nature, and it is limited by that nature. For instance, take a fish as an obvious example. God created fish to live and thrive in water, whether salt or fish or fresh. Gills are adapted to absorb oxygen from water. So water is the element in which a fish finds its identity, its fishness, if you will, its freedom. It finds itself in the element for which it was created, water. It's limited to living in water, but in that limitation, it is free. Suppose you had a little tropical fish in one of those old-fashioned spherical goldfish bowls you used to get at the carnival when you got the ping-pong ball in the, in the thing. Suppose that little fish swam around and around his blessed bowl until his frustration became so unbearable 
and he decides to make a bid for freedom and he leaps out of the bowl and lands not in the pond but on the rug. Is he free? Of course not. In moments he'll be dead. But if a fish were made of made for water, then what are human beings made for? What is the element in which human beings find themselves? As water is the element to which a fish finds itself, where are we? And I don't hesitate to say that according to Scripture, the answer is love. Human beings are made for love because God is love. When God created us in his own image, he gave us the capacity to love and to be loved. So human beings find their destiny in loving God and in loving their neighbors. It's not an accident that the first commandment that Jesus spoke of is to love the Lord God with all our being and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because in obeying those commandments, we truly find humanness. A truly human existence is impossible without love. Living for us is loving, and without love, we die. Now, that brings me to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be myself as God made me and meant me to be. God made me for loving, but loving is self-giving. In order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself to others in love. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. Michelangelo is recorded as having said, When I am yours, then at last I am truly myself. True freedom is the exact opposite to what many people think it is. Most people think freedom is freedom from responsibility to God and others in order that I may live life for myself and be truly free. But that isn't freedom. That's bondage to my own self-centeredness. True freedom is to be set free from my silly little self in order to give myself in love to God and to my fellow human beings. In conclusion, let me remind you that this is what Jesus himself taught. He taught it in one of his famous and favorite epigrams. And I read it to you in the King James Version because that's what I remember most from my childhood. He that findeth life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now, when I used to read that verse, I thought that it was talking about martyrs who lost their lives. But let me read the same epigram in more modern English for you. Hear it again in different words. He who holds on to his life and refuses to let himself go will lose himself. But she who loses herself is willing to give herself away in love and in the service of God and others. In the moment of complete abandon, when you think everything is lost, at that moment you must find yourself and you are free. Let us pray. Free to be who we are in you, O Lord, is why we come to the table. It is why we eat and drink. It is why we gather. It is why we pray. 
It is why we sing. And it is why we work at doing your will. Grant your spirit of grace and love and mercy. Set free, set us free to be free to choose life and its great privilege and gift, O Lord. Help us to use it in the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of the Lord whose mark we bear and to the people he loves, because we ask it in his name. Amen. stand with me and say with me the Apostles' Creed is our way of confessing faith in Christ. Together we confess our faith saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are free to give, and our giving is expressed in our tithes and offerings and gifts, and we give opportunity for you to give now to the work of Christ in our community and through our congregation. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, my creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate, is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace 
and reconciliation, that we might be accepted of God and never be forsaken by him. We come to have communion with this same Christ, who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, that he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine, in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. We come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the feast of love, of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come, when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like unto him in his glory. Since by his death, his death and resurrection and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all in one body, so we receive this supper in true love, mindful of the communion of saints. who are baptized into Christ and confess Jesus Christ as Lord are welcome at this table. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for all is now ready. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. You lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Right and holy it is in our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord, our Creator, almighty and everlasting God. You created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, made flesh for us and for our salvation. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and for the pouring forth of your Holy Spirit, who equips us for service and leads us into your truth. With your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. And together we proclaim the mystery of our faith. 
Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Send your Holy Spirit upon us. We pray that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. And grant that being joined together in him we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may be soon gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We remind you again this morning that in the communion cup tray, the outer circle is grape juice, the inner circles are wine. We allow you to take according to your conscience. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Make and eat it in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sin. When you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. The bread which we eat is the communion of the body of Jesus Christ. Take and eat it unto the salvation of your soul. The cup which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take and drink it unto the salvation of your soul. Please join me in your bulletin for the thanksgiving after communion. Brothers and sisters, since the Lord has now fed us at his table, let us praise God's holy name with heartfelt thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, so do anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, and will also give us all things with him. Therefore our mouths and hearts shall show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. We praise and thank you, O Lord, that you have fed us through the preaching of your word and at the table of our Lord. Grateful for your gifts and mindful of the communion of your saints, we offer to you our prayers for all people. God of compassion, we remember before you the poor and the afflicted, the sick and the dying, prisoners and all who are lonely, the victims of war, injustice, and inhumanity, and all others who suffer from whatever their sufferings may be called. O Lord of Providence, who holds the destiny of the nations in your hand, we pray for our country. Inspire the hearts and minds of our leaders that they, together with all our nation, may first seek your kingdom and righteousness so that order, liberty, and peace may dwell with your people. O Savior God, take upon your church, look upon your church in this struggle upon the earth, 
and have mercy on its weakness, bring to an end its unhappy divisions and scatter its fears. Look also upon the ministry of your church, increase its courage, strengthen its faith, inspire its witness to all people, even to the ends of the earth. Author of grace and God of love, send your Holy Spirit's blessing to your children here present as they raise their prayer concerns before you in the presence of the great congregation. Keep our hearts and thoughts in Jesus Christ, your Son, our only Savior, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I'd like to invite everyone to join us after the service for our 4th of July picnic. I uh, want to remind you that I will be taking the truck with the beds for the fish shelter to the next church immediately after the service this morning. Uh, I have a little helper with me today. Uh, my granddaughter is with me. Uh, we're going to do that and hopefully get back before the picnic is over uh, so that those beds can get to the next site. Okay? Um, when you came in this morning, I think everybody was given a little party popper. Yeah? Okay? Before you leave the sanctuary, point it away from you and away from anybody else, and simply say to yourself, quietly or out loud, thank God I'm free, and pull the string. Okay? You got it? Now, Jordan's looking at me like, oh my word. Can you imagine what this is going to be cleaning up? After you pop the popper, do some quick picking up of whatever you can off the seat and pile it. Okay, just as a grace to her. But it's so much fun. I promise you, you enjoy it. Let's stand to sing our closing hymn, 561.